The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody, and happy Wednesday to you, and happy Meat House Day. The Meat Out was founded back in 1985 by the Farm Animal Reform Movement. In those days, it was called the Great American Meat Out, and now it's around the world. March 20th, the first day of spring, the vernal equinox, this time when Nature wakes up. It's also a time when a lot of people wake up to thinking, well, gosh, maybe I could not eat meat on the 20th of March, and maybe I could renew that on the 21st of March. That happens to be my birthday, so if you wanted to do a two-day meet-out this year, that would be really cool. You know, a lot of people I know send out um, invitations to people to give money to charity or whatever for their birthday. So if you want to do something for my birthday, how about meet out day two? Lovely how we inspire one another to make all sorts of interesting and fascinating changes. And that's what we're about here at Unity Online Radio. And in this one hour of Unity Online Radio, Main Street Vegan, I am your host, Victoria Moran. Always, always a pleasure to be with you. Very happy to have you if you're listening in live today on this vernal equinox or if you're listening later via RSS or iTunes or however you access us. It's so wonderful to know that we're connected as we think about and talk about changing our diets, changing our perspective, and enlarging our compassion. One of my favorite quotations comes from Dr. Albert Schweitzer. He said, Until mankind can enlarge his circle of compassion to embrace all that has life, he will not himself know peace. And that's what we're about here at Main Street Vegan. Quickly, slowly, however you're able to do it, 
to just enlarge that circle of compassion. I think as vegans, we think a lot about having compassion, certainly for the animals that are part of the food system and also for, for the earth herself. But you know, sometimes we just need to be more compassionate to ourselves, take really good care of ourselves. We seem to be living in a time and place when working oneself to death has become a virtue. Have you noticed that? People work more than ever. And statistically, people in the U.S. are working more than people almost any place else. We had these ideas that there was going to be this leisure society, this wonderful utopian world because of technology and because of all these things that we learn and know about. And instead, what we're doing is working and working and overworking. So, my resolution for my birthday coming tomorrow is going to be to just take it easy. Don't you love that idea, easy does it? And we can translate that into so many areas of our life. How about easy does it at work? You know what? Is having to get everything done yesterday going to make it better? Probably not. Maybe take it a little bit easy. How easy does it with our diet and trying to be perfect all the time? Do you know that actually a new disorder in the world called orthorexia? And it's being so obsessed with only eating the healthiest foods that you've ever heard of that you end up hardly eating anything and feeling really, really bad if you eat something that doesn't seem perfect. I was talking with my lovely friend and helper, Diane, today. If we can get our Skype fixed during one of these breaks, Diane will come on with me and, and help with interviewing. Our guests will be coming up in a minute. But we were just talking about how in the old days, when I became vegan back in 1983, there were very few convenience foods. There wasn't really a lot for vegans to eat. And I was thinking, so why when I think back, do I remember meals that were just as lively and beautiful and colorful as anything I have now, maybe a little bit more? And I was thinking, well, it's because food so wasn't evil in those days. It seemed like, you know, you could saute in some olive oil and that was okay. And, and people weren't worried about tofu. Tofu was a health food. And it was great to eat pasta. I mean, I'm Italian. There's a certain almost religious fervor that I feel towards pasta. So what I would love to say to you on this first day of spring and on the eve of my next year of life is easy does it, but do it. That's what they say in the 12-step programs. Of course we want to be healthy. Of course we want to be productive. But let's do it in a way that has some ease and some grace and some delight to it. Because isn't that what you want? from every day of your life. Now, I see that the brilliant Diane Wenz, holistic health counselor, vegan lifestyle coach, and totally amazing human being, has got our Skype fixed up. So if, um, Jeff, can you hear me? Can we get to a break earlier rather than later? And uh, come back on Skype. So thank you all so much for being part of the show today. We're going to have two amazing guests, Alex Hirschhoff, founder of Farm Animal Rights Movement, the creator of The Meat Out, and also Michelle Simon. She's an attorney. She's a master's in public health, the author of Appetite for Profit. She's going to tell us what these big corporations are doing to not take very good care of us and our health. So stay with us through these breaks. And we'll be back with clearer sound and good intentions <laughs> Main Street Vegan right here on Unity Online Radio. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. 
if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. We are back. Our technical difficulties are cured. Hallelujah. I am here with Diane Wentz. Hello. Hey there, VeggieGirl.com. If you would like to join the conversation, the number is 888-558-6489. And we want to jump right in with our fabulous first guest, Michelle Simon. Michelle is a public health lawyer specializing in legal strategies to counter corporate tactics that harm the public health. She's been researching and writing about the food industry and food politics since 1996. She's the author of Appetite for Profit, How the Food Industry Undermines Our Health and How to Fight Back. Simon lectures internationally on corporate tactics and policy solutions. And I actually met her in November of 2011 when we were both at the first International Conference to End Factory Farming. Hello, Michelle. Thanks for calling in. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, it is such a pleasure. I know this was kind of last minute because you are in New York City. What are you here to do today? Well, I'm here to give a talk this evening at Hunter School of Public Health, and um, that talk will be all about how the food industry isn't exactly telling us the truth when they are fighting against various public policies. So this is a a brand new talk that I've developed to really underscore the lobbying tactics that the industry uses. Well, food politics is a term that most people aren't familiar with. What is it? Right. Well, you know, we have a lot of talk now about how to eat healthfully, and of course that's uh, what undergirds your work, and it's so important. But what most people don't realize is that you know, the food choices that we face aren't just a matter of I'm going to, you know, decide to eat more plants over eating less meat. The, the types of foods that are available to us in the first place are very much influenced by our government policies, by marketing, by an industry that doesn't exactly have our best interests at heart. So by looking at the, the politics of the situation, we can understand how we got here in the first place. How is it that meat and dairy are at the center of the food guide pyramid, now the my plate? Why is it that um, people think that 
they can't survive without, you know, a glass of milk every day, et cetera. These are all uh, functions of a very um, twisted system of government policies and industry marketing and lobbying tactics that unfortunately really go to furthering that industry and not public health. So how did you get into all this? Well, actually started um, back in the way back in the mid-90s when I decided to adopt a vegetarian diet myself, and it was pretty eye-opening for me. I already had my master's in public health and a law degree, but hadn't learned anything about even good nutrition at Yale School of Public Health, which was pretty shocking. So I had to learn it all on my own, and I picked up books like Diet Food in America by John Robbins and was pretty much blown away by the power of diet, not only on our own health, but, of course, animals, environment, and, and labor practices. And it kind of took off from there, and I realized, well, i got to kind of put my law degree to, to work here, and that was when I discovered the influence of public policy and, and really un- shining a light on how public policy can interfere with you know, our best efforts to tell people, uh, to encourage people to eat a more healthful diet, a more plant-based diet. And then I um, really took off by following in the footsteps of Marian Nessel. And, you know, she was working on um, some interesting work uh, related to the meat and dairy industries back in the late 90s, and I discovered that work. You know, she was writing about how the meat and dairy industries influenced the federal dietary guidelines, and this is, you know, a few years before she wrote her book, Food Politics. So, you know, she definitely helped inspire me to kind of follow that path, and then from there I just decided, well, it's not just <laughs> the meat and dairy industries that are the problem, but the entire you know, processed food industry and so forth. And now, of course, a lot of other people have started to figure that out as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how the food industry undermines public health? Sure. Well, so many ways. You know, I would say what's happening now that's different than, say, 10, 15 years ago is we actually do have a a very spirited public debate around diet and health and how we should be eating to further health. And yet the food industry is responding to that in rather disingenuous ways. So, for example, we have all kinds of newfangled health claims and fancy labels on packages claiming, you know, that um, cocoa puff cereal now has whole grain, so that must make it good for kids, or other forms of these, um, you know, health washing claims. And the other thing that we're seeing industry do is pretend that they're um, in favor of things like physical education, right, that's the answer, Um, and more exercise programs for kids in schools. And these are all just forms of distraction. Industry doesn't want to talk about, God forbid, you know, drinking less Coke. They just want to pretend that the answer to the obesity epidemic is more exercise. And then, of course, they're lobbying like they have done for years against any common-sense policies to try to fix our food system in a way that would be actually healthful. So when I talk about the food industry undermining our health, those are the types of practices, the, you know, pretending to make healthier foods, pretending to care about the problem by trying to distract us with the wrong solutions to the problem, and finally lobbying like hell to stop anything common sense from moving forward. Wow. Our guest is Michelle Simon. She is an attorney, a master's in public health. If you want to ask Michelle a question, call us at 888-558-6489. And Michelle, what's your website? It's, my blog is at appetiteforprofit.com, and then my um, other information about my work is at eatdrinkpolitics.com. Okay, perfect. And you also have a zillion Twitter followers. How can we find you on Twitter? <laughs> it's um, my name with my middle initial, Michelle R. Simon, Michelle with one L. Okay, great. And you're a good tweeter, too. I, I, Thank you. I kind of rank tweeters, and you say really interesting things. Now, today there are quite a few articles in the New York Times that have something to do with um, with food, with, with animal issues. It's really an interesting New York Times day. But there is one piece in the business section called Grocers Won't Sell Altered Fish, Groups Say. And they're talking about salmon that has been genetically engineered to grow twice as fast as it's supposed to. And it says that Whole Foods Market, Trader Joe's, and Aldi will not be selling this stuff. So what do you make of the whole GM thing? Well, you know, this is um, an issue that's been around for a while and has also kind of been heating up in recent years. I was very involved with the Prop 37 last fall in California, which was an initiative on the ballot that would have required labeling of all genetically engineered um, food that contains GMO ingredients. 
And, you know, the food industry, true to form, is fighting it tooth and nail, this whole idea of, of labeling products simply to give consumers information about the, what they're eating. And, you know, this is something that already is done in some 60 other countries. So it's not a novel idea. It's not a crazy idea. It's a very logical idea. And for some reason, the United States can't get it together to follow in the path of all these other countries that have gotten it done. And it is thanks to the lobbying of, you know, these massively powerful groups. In this case, it's not just the usual players in the food industry like Coke and Pepsi that were fighting. It's the biotech industry like Monsanto and DuPont, and then the chemical pesticide industry that plays a role in GMOs. So, you know, it was quite um, an onslaught of lobbying that we faced in California last fall, and the effort is going forward, though. I mean, people really got mad when we lost that fight, and now there are some 20 states that are proposing similar laws. And so this issue isn't going away, and the fight also continues at the federal level because that is really where it needs to happen. Unfortunately, our Food and Drug Administration hasn't, um, you know, stepped up to the plate, but there's continuing pressure being put there. So, you know, to have supermarkets like Whole Foods and others um, take this sort of stand is great, but unfortunately that is only for a very small segment of the population, and we need public policy to apply to everyone equally, and that's really where, you know, getting laws passed comes in. Right. Well, that was why I was glad to see Aldi, which is a discount chain, being part of it. And I guess some people would say Trader Joe's is kind of a discount as well. So it's not just these <clears throat> elite, high-priced markets, people everywhere speaking up about this stuff. And I had read that Whole Foods is going to require everything with GMOs to be labeled at some point in the future. So Whole Foods announced recently that they were going to require their suppliers to label their foods that contain GMOs by um, 2018, five years from now. And that's certainly a step in the right direction. I'm not sure why it would take five years. I mean, if suppliers want to change their ingredients, that's fine, but they could label them tomorrow or at least, you know, within a shorter period of time they contain GMOs. So I have some concerns about that and what exactly is going to happen in five years. But, you know, uh, as long as the issue is being kept alive in the media, and that certainly did get a lot of attention, um, and the pressure is kept up on the FDA and our federal government, the White House specifically, to take the leadership that's needed to, you know, create blanket law across the board that applies to everyone equally. Mm-hmm. So what consumers do consumers do to stay safe with GMOs mm-hmm. going on, with products being labeled as healthy when they really aren't? What can we do? Well, you know, obviously we have to be smart consumers and do your homework and not fall for these industry tactics. And really it's pretty simple as far as our eating habits goes. As you know, <laughs> eating plant-based foods is the way to go, and you don't really need to read a label if you're eating real food. Um, but, of course, unfortunately eating that way isn't accessible to everyone, and, and that's where we need to be um, putting pressure on our uh, members of Congress and, and local leaders to change the food system, to really... Uh, look at this issue as a social justice problem in that we have people whose only access to food is the corner liquor store. So it means getting involved um, in your local community with groups that are fighting for a better food system, and there's no shortage of opportunities. So you can get involved from anywhere from your local you know, school district or backyard gardening, community gardening, et cetera, all the way up to fighting for a better farm bill, which influences our um, food policies in a profound way, and that fight's ongoing. So, you know, I just always tell people to get involved either with your time or your dollars in any way that is meaningful to you, and there's no shortage of opportunities because the food movement is growing day by day. So what's the government's role in this? You know, we're here in New York City where Mayor Bloomberg... Uh, wants to have no big sodas sold. I think a judge has put a stay on that for for the time being. And then I also read today that the governor of Mississippi has just signed a bill that there can never be a ban on the size of drinks that people can have in Mississippi. So where does government come into it? Right, well, obviously the politics of all this are complicated. I mean, the mayor has been a leader in public health with that. New York City Health Department really um, out in the forefront on these issues, including the the soda limit proposal. And um, it's common that when a city is the first out on any new idea that, you know, a judge may not get it. And the same thing happened with the menu labeling. The first um, swipe at that wasn't 
upheld at the lower court, but then it got upheld on the appeals level. So, you know, these ideas take time to kind of get out into the public discourse and become not so crazy, but actually a normal idea. I mean, it's crazy to have soda sizes, you know, that can fit into a bucket. So, um, you know, government, we have to be pushing government all the time to be doing the right thing. You know, the thing in Mississippi, this is a typical industry ploy. I mean, this didn't come out of nowhere. Industry's game is when there's anything happening at the local level, like there has been, and not just in New York City, but other cities across the country, then they go to the next level up of government, in this case the state level, to pass what's called the preemption bill, and that means we're not going to allow any locals to do anything. Well, that's being challenged in the state of Ohio, where it's also been tried. Uh, in other words, cities can challenge the state's um, attempt to wipe out local laws. So, you know, it's an ongoing battle. <laughs> I mean, this stuff isn't easy, again, because it's it's relatively novel. But, you know, in just like we've um, regulated cigarettes and to some extent alcohol and other hazardous products, uh, you know, in years hence we'll look back and think, what the hell are we thinking selling sodas in these bucket containers? And what would you say to someone who says, but that's my right. If I want to have a bucket of soda... That's, you know, it's only hurting me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, New York City proposal, there was nothing to stop someone from buying, you know, four cups of 16-ounce. It's just saying that the default um, should be something reasonable. You know, it's it's, um, shown that people will consume whatever is in front of them. So, you know, it's not like people were fighting for these bigger containers. It's that industry can make more money from selling them and then, you know, people will just automatically buy whatever's available. And, you know, it's not about taking away anyone's rights. It's about putting reasonable regulations on how business does, um, you know, sells its products in a way that doesn't harm the public health. Just like the government regulates food safety in restaurants. You know, I like to think of um, levels of sugar being akin to, say, even um, contaminants in your food, right? I mean, we don't allow just restaurants to have any kind of, um, uh, you know, number of, there's actually limits on, on vermin and things that can contaminate the food supply. So, and um, so, you know, we have a hazard in this case with sugar and maybe meat. I mean, there's just all these hazards in the food supply because we've let things get out of control. And so we're just talking about leaning some of that back in. I have never thought about sugar and vermin, but I will now never, never think of either one of those things without thinking of the other. You know, I was just thinking as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how cigarettes didn't used to have that warning label on them, and now they do. And maybe we need that for sugar as well. Yeah, well, that's what some people are saying. I mean, I don't like to focus on any single ingredient too much. I mean, that's just kind of the bad ingredient du jour. Um, And I think it's really, you know, the whole diet that's the problem, but, you know, it's hard to regulate that. So if we can regulate things in this way, that at least puts some curbs on, um, you know, the the hazards that people are consuming, then, you know, um, I'm all for it. Well, I remember as a little tiny kid going to soda fountains in Kansas City where I live and getting a nickel Coke. And it was in a little glass that I guess was four ounces. It was very cute. And <laughs> The idea now of a four-ounce Coke, (laughs) even if it was a nickel, it would just seem so bizarre. But it was very normal at the time. So tell us in in our our last minute or two here, Michelle, about Appetite for Profit, about your book. Why should we read it and what does it say? Well, um, like I said earlier, it really was my attempt to explain all the ways that the food industry is responding to the criticism and the questions that are being raised about its role in helping to cause our diet-related chronic diseases. And so, you know, it's it's sort of a map to industry's responses around marketing practices and these fancy labels and exercise and all these excuses they make and then really unpacking the way that they lobby against common sense nutrition policies like menu labeling, like regulating marketing to children. You know, the marketing to children issue I focused a lot on in the book because I think it's one of the most important and yet most intractable issues that's facing us today. So, you know, I want people to understand how the food industry operates, not to trust them when you hear their claims of responsibility and and to really um, be able to fight back in a more effective way than, unfortunately, we're currently doing so far. 
Thank you so much, Michelle Simon, JDMPH, AppetiteForProfit.com. Her book is Appetite for Profit. If you're in New York City, head up to Spanish Harlem at 5 p.m., and uh, you'll get two hours of Michelle Simon live and uncut. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure, Victoria. Thanks so much for having me. Take care, and stay with us through the break when we're going to bring on Dr. Alex Hershaft, the founder of Meat Out. Take care and be back for more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio. Guidance and direction are bubbling up from your soul all the time even at night. But do you hear your soul when it calls? Do you recognize it? Do you trust it? Can you trust it? How can you be certain you are hearing the voice of your precious soul? Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that help you hear your soul, recognize and trust its guidance, and begin to take action to create a truly beautiful life. Learn the wisdom habit of divine dialogue in Writing Down Your Soul. How to live a life of integrity in Soul Vows. And discover your soul's unique purpose in Check the Box. If you long to create a soul-directed life, visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Rev. Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio. Our call-in number is 888-558-6489. And it is my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Alex Hershaft. Alex founded the Vegetarian Information Service in 1976 and FARM, Farm Animal Reform Movement at that time. It is now Farm Animal Rights Movement, but founded back in 1982 the year before I went vegan. He launched World Vegetarian Day in 1977, World Farm Animals Day in 1983, the Great American Meat Out in 1985, Gentle Thanksgiving in 1990, and Citizens for Healthy Options in Children's Education in 1995. He organized 17 national animal rights conferences, including the Action for Life Conference that launched the U.S. animal rights movement in 1981. And I just have to say at a personal level, when I went through a tragedy in 1987 and my first husband passed away suddenly and I was a single mom out there in Kansas City not knowing what to do next, 
Alex Hershoff called me and said that if I wanted to move to D.C., there would be a job and a home for me at Farm Animal Rights Movement. I hold you in my heart forever, Dr. Alex Hershaft. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. It's so nice of you to remember that incident. Well, I'll never forget it. And happy meet out to you. How are you celebrating you. the meet out thank today? You. Well, by working hard at my computer as usual and the next uh, uh, program, which is the 10 Billion Lives program. Uh, this year's meetout is uh, quite different because it's under new management. Uh, you know, I'm in the process of retiring from farm and there's a new team taking over and they didn't like uh, my old look of the meetout page. So we now have a brand new logo and brand new a meetout page, which folks can see at meetout.org, meetout.org, and uh, that's where they can also pledge to go vegan, or they can contact their friends and family and ask them to go vegan for a day. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about the 10 Billion Lives program? Sure. Uh, that's uh, something that we started back in uh, 2010, towards the end of 2010, uh, it was kind of a coincidence of, (laughs) it was kind of a perfect storm of few things coming together. Uh, There was a small group uh, in the DC area that had the crazy idea, uh, well, they they thought that that they should, that they could show the the video of uh, the factory farming and slaughterhouse atrocities to reasonable people that these people would just be so revolted that they would just have to go vegan. The problem was how to get people to watch four minutes of horror. Uh, I mean, you know, they would have to not be in the right mind to do that or they would have to be paid. So they started giving these people a dollar to watch this four-minute video, and it worked. The, a lot of people were willing to spend four minutes watching a horror flick uh, for a dollar. And then, of course, once they watched it, uh, they would be receive vegan literature and that sort of thing. So uh, that was just a little local project that went on, and it was announced at our 2010 conference. And uh, then uh, later that year, I happened to be speaking to one of our large donors, and he said to me, you know, if you could figure out a way to get people to watch uh, one of these videos, I I would be willing to fund the program. And I said, well, funny, you should ask, because (laughs) (laughs) this actually has been tried by a local group here. And uh, so I quickly sat down and designed a large national program that involved building a track uh, with uh, eight screens and 32 headsets, uh, allowing us to uh, to to screen the video for 30 up to 32 people at one time and uh, sleeping accommodations for the crew and so on and so forth. And this track has been going around the country uh, screening the video. And up to now we have about, uh, mostly last year, because in 2011 was mostly trial and error and building the track. So in in 2012 uh, uh, we've collected about 60,000 videos, uh, views. And then uh, we have further refined the process so that uh, once uh, they view the video, they, uh, the next screen that comes on asks them to pledge a self-selected number of vegan days per week, and they can choose zero or, or more. And uh, it turns out that 80% of the viewers choose something other than zero. And then uh, we give them uh, vegan literature and the dollar. But that's not all. Uh-huh. We also collect their email address. And uh, 
we then send them weekly reminders of their pledge and uh, weekly issue of our email newsletter called Meet Out Mondays and your listeners can subscribe to it on their own by just going to meetoutmondays.org meetoutmondays.org and then we also send them periodic surveys to see how well they do on their pledge and basically telling them here's how many animals your pledge has saved and uh, here's how many acres of uh, rainforest, how many liters of water and here's how many more of those things would be saved if you increased your pledge and went full vegan. And uh, it turns out that uh, 64% of the people we contact have actually maintained their pledge or are willing to raise it. So it's a very successful program and we're now expanding it by building not another truck but uh, carts on wheels, each containing three screens and 12 headsets. And uh, the idea is that there are lots, uh, we mostly do this on college campuses, and a lot of campuses don't allow parking a big truck in the middle of the campus, but they will allow the carts, and the carts can also go indoors in case of inclement weather. So those, uh, those are being built now and will be launching in May. So it's very exciting. Now the program is not just the tour, we also promote, uh, the video also uh, appears on, uh, online, and your listeners can view it by just going to 10billionlives.org, 10 billion, the numeral 10, billionlives.org. And uh, at the end of the video, they're again asked to pledge a certain number of vegan days and so forth. So, uh, so it's quite an exciting program, and we've uh, we've really expect to expand it more and more. That is exciting, and what's also exciting to me is your enthusiasm after all these years, and after knowing what a huge task is still before us. That that you're just infectious in your enthusiasm, which is really exciting to me. So, well, Alex, what, what happened in your life to make you the sort of person who cares about animals? Uh, it was actually, it took a little time. <laughs> I'm slow. So I always had this problem with, with the concept uh, of taking a beautiful, living, breathing animal, hitting him over the head with the hammer or some device, and then cutting up his body into small pieces and sticking these pieces of the animal into my face. Uh, uh, just aesthetically, that didn't make sense. But uh, but this was back in the 40s and 50s. Oops, I just uh, <laughs> revealed my age. Uh, and uh, and uh, I didn't know any vegetarians. And uh, it just seemed kind of strange. And I, although I was strange, I didn't want people to think I was strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of kept it to myself. And then in 1961, I, uh, after getting my PhD, I uh, emigrated to Israel. And in Israel, uh, a lot of people are vegetarians because meat is not that big a deal there. And there are lots of fruits and vegetables. So one day I was uh, uh, coming across a, a local Druze tribe. That's one of the local native tribes. And they were slaughtering a baby goat. And I asked them, why are you doing this? And they said, well, we're celebrating the birth of a child to one of our members. And I thought to myself, how cynical it is to sacrifice one baby because another one was born. And so I decided, you know, this is it. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna out myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a real vegetarian. So I did that, and then in 1975, I attended the World Vegetarian Congress, 
and I was just blown away. There were 1,500 vegetarians from all over the world and all kinds of dress, all kinds of economic stations. And the only thing they had in common is they were all vegetarians. And so I, I got all excited and became active and, as you pointed out, started the Vegetarian Information Service the year after and started doing conferences and eventually got involved with the animal rights movement, which was non-existent back then. And uh, once, I, once I got involved with animal rights, uh, the, the people I got involved with told me that I couldn't go on as a vegetarian, that this was, that this was uh, just unacceptable, that I had to go vegan. And so I was forced into going vegan. And, and then, I, of course, I realized that that was the right thing to do. Well, that's a beautiful story. And that's when I met you at that conference in 1975, by the way, yeah. when we yeah. were both... Children. So I yeah. want to ask you about something kind of controversial. Last summer, I was very honored to be part of the Animal Rights 2012 conference in the D.C. area that, that uh, Farm Animal Rights Movement sponsors. And some other people were having another conference in another part of the hotel because my understanding was they thought that the AR conference was not sufficiently radical. What's that all about? Right. Okay. Well, uh, the uh, okay. Where do we start? So uh, there was a time when uh, we when it was felt that we were too radical back in two thousand four, and uh, a lot of the mainstream animal organizations started boycotting the conference, including the Humane Society of the U.S. and uh, the Fund for Animals, uh, Animal Legal Defense Fund, uh, Farm Sanctuary, and so on. Uh, and eventually they started their own conference called uh, uh, whatever, I forget. The other one, yes. The other one, yeah. And uh, and, uh, you know, we we felt badly because we wanted uh, our conference to be a big tent. We wanted it to include uh, uh, any anybody who works for animal liberation, uh, regardless of what which path they choose, as long as they their goal is to liberate animals from all forms of human oppression. Uh, but anyway, we went on. Our, our attendance didn't really drop much, and, and we just kept going. Well, eventually what happened is uh, uh, last year, for the first time in, uh, what, eight years or so, HSUS finally relented and allowed us to have uh, uh, three of their employees to speak at our conference, which they, when they started boycotting us, of course, they wouldn't allow any of their employees to either attend or speak at our conference. And so what had happened by then is that uh, because uh, the conference was lacking uh, the more mainstream speakers uh, all these years, is that it became kind of a more radical conference just by default. And so the people who... There were were a number of people who objected to the presence of HSUS speakers, or at least one of the speakers was particularly identified with HSUS. And so, so yeah, so as you point out, they set up, uh, they they hired a room on the same floor of the same hotel, which was kind of sneaky. We felt not very collegial, especially since they had been invited to speak and refused. <laughs> so to then go around and hire a room in the same hotel on the same floor, we felt was was just not a very nice thing to do. And so we told the hotel, and of course, the, once the hotel found out what they had done, they uh, took the room away from them. So they just went upstairs at and had a little uh, powwow in, in their hotel room. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, we, we really feel that uh, 
that the, the, the idea of the conference really, it's the only thing, it's the only institution that brings the entire movement together. There is nothing else. There is no publication. There is no overarching uh, uh, council. There is no national leader. There is really nothing that makes us a movement except for this one conference a year. And if we start banning people from it because they follow a different path to animal liberation, then we'll just end up talking to ourselves, you know? And that's, of course, contrary to the whole idea. Well, that's really beautifully put, Alex, and thanks for that explanation. It reminds me of of the late, great Jay Dinshaw, who said, pity the poor animals who have to depend on us. (laughs) Yeah, you you know, uh, I think most people view the controversy as being between the abolitionists who feel that that the the only way to, to achieve our goal is by making people vegans one at a time and uh, the welfareists who feel that the way to go is to improve the conditions for animals uh, but uh, but and i used to think that too that that's the way to go or that that's the the split but now uh, more and more i'm thinking that the real split is between the people who do things for animals and the people who criticize them <laughs> Well, isn't that true? Like when people say, why do you help animals instead of people? And they're not helping people. I've never had anybody call me from doing volunteer work at the homeless shelter to criticize (laughs) that I'm helping animals. Alex Hershaft, you are one of my favorite people in the world. You have saved so many lives. So everybody check out 10billionlives.org meetoutmondays.org, check out the farm animal rights movement. you got to know Alex. He's a gem. God bless you. Thanks for being on our show. Thank you, Victoria. You're a sweetie. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thanks, Diane. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back here, same time, same station, Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. God bless. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly listen to funniest thing with daryl and ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things join the discussion with daryl and ed live every wednesday at 5 p.m central time on funniest thing only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them. As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you, but God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Just what does that dream mean? Ever wake up from a crazy dream and wonder what it meant? Have you had a recurring dream all your life and... You just can't get it to stop? Get all your questions about dreams and dream interpretation answered by the leading expert in the field. Unity Online Radio is home to America's leading dream expert, Dr. Michael Lennox. And on Mondays at 2 p.m. Central, the doctor is definitely in. Tune in to Dream Interpretation with Dr. Michael Lennox, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Rev. Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, 
new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.